All right, welcome back to The Real Rap Podcast. Joining us today is someone that really needs no introduction, uh, but I'll do it anyway. One of my best friends, a 12-year professional basketball player, and an absolute ham of a personality, the legend Mike Stock, Mike Stockton. Uh, in this episode, we'll get into Mike's background and some of our adventures together over the years, his continued improvement as a basketball player, and finally, his involvement in The Real Rap Pilot. So, Buckle up, Mike's always good for a few gems, and let's get to the pod. All right, Mike, my brother, welcome to the Real Rap Podcast. Dude, thanks for having me on here. I've been watching the episodes and listening, and great to be a part of it. Cool. Well, I uh, I want to tee us up with a little a little intro. Um, you know, celebrating our 30-year friendship, I thought we'd do a little Q&A game I've come up with to start. Just put you on your, your heels right away, but let's go. You know, test your memory because I, I know you got a good one. So, all right. Number one, on our epic 2008 road trip from Utah to Montana to visit H, your brother, Houston, what was the theme song of our trip? I have no recollection of what the theme mm. song of the trip was. All right, I'll give you a hint. It, you busted your knee and we were playing it. Oh, yeah. I, hey, man, 100% paper planes. <laughs> hey, MIA. there Let's we go. go. There we go. I knew you knew it. but uh, um, All right, number two, on the way back from the same trip, what line was said as we exited the freeway for gas that a sense lived on? Coming in hot. Coming in hot. All right. As we ran a stop sign. Number three. Name three of our HoopFest team names. Okay. One was Dropping Dimes. <laughs> I told that Dimes story. Lucas, yeah. and that got banned. So right. the next year, I guess the second name would be DDL for Dropping Dimes Lucas because they wouldn't allow us to use Dropping Dimes. And we were, at first, you got to go back to the OG, the Wasatch Wizards, man. Wasatch Wizards, inspired by our Utah roots. Hey, man, uh, we had the... We had the the new mountains jazz logo before the mm -hmm. jazz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We basically <laughs> just ripped that logo, I think from, from the jazz and screen printed that on a couple. My, my mom had seen the design and <laughs> next thing you know, we had the jerseys, man. Yeah. And, uh, okay. And then for name up to two things we were known to do after a late night out in college. Um, one, hit mocha salsa yep little mexican spot and two was to i'll give you two and three is to stop at a red box and rent a movie and probably go home and either hit a muscle milk or make a milkshake <laughs> like that was that was the, the yes. standard and the uh, i had it as the as the milkshake so but muscle milk i can accept that answer as well i forgot we were we were about the milks for a minute but the the best part of that is we'd go in the bathroom to run the blender to not wake up my parents upstairs so i think yeah. i recall putting a sweatshirt over the top of yeah. it and trying to cut out all the noise <laughs> okay and then lastly what was the secret move to execute on quarterback club 98 in order to get a consecutive kickoff run back how did we do it do you remember you had to take off hard to one side so i mean let's just say we started off to the right everybody would run right to mm -hmm. almost the sideline get the pursuit coming that way and then we'd wheel back around and go <laughs> left and hopefully mike was blocking the kicker let's go all right nailed it i knew he would the guy's got a got a photographic memory um well it brings back so many memories and what i want to do is like we usually do we'll go through a little background and then we'll talk about some of our adventures over the years and something i want to touch on is is your continued improvement as a basketball player that's led you now on to a 12-year pro career which is incredible and and uh wasn't necessarily likely starting out you know you're you're a little guy and and always kind of hanging with me in houston it's been fun to see you just come into your own over the years and then we'll finish with uh your involvement in the real rap pilot and give you the quiz to to wrap it up that sounds good i'm looking forward to it man Cool. So we covered a lot of a lot of our Salt Lake origins with Houston um, in the first episode, but that's your oldest brother, um, my guy H. Stock, and you're a year apart. So let's start with the dynamic growing up and competing against Houston, because a lot of the greats have been forged battling out with their brother. Absolutely, man. I mean, that was 
first and foremost, it was just, I wanted to compete with Houston and in turn with you because that was just acceptance, man. I mean, everywhere I rolled, I was just your guys' tag along. I mean, you know, if, if you would say, Hey, you know, can Houston come over to sleep over tonight? Or can Houston come to the to the Utah fun zone? I'd just be sitting there like, am I going to get an invite too? Like, what is this? And and I'd always kind of complain or, you know, whine my way into being able to be a part of these things. And so, you know, I always had that chip on my shoulder. Like, no, I got to prove to these guys that I belong. And, you know, that also goes into the sports aspect of it. I mean, we played on the same team for forever. You know, what, what football we never did because I <laughs> – Last thing I needed was to be a year up in football, but in (laughs) basketball and baseball, I was always on your guys' teams. And despite the fact I always felt I was one of our team's better players, I felt that you guys gave me no respect. Like I felt you guys were just like, no, yeah, this is just our tag along, like screw this guy. (laughs) And so I always wanted to be like, all right, well, no, screw screw you guys. I'll fight you Mm -hmm. to prove that I belong on this team. And we did fight it out a ton of times because it it mattered that much to me mm-hmm. to to validate myself in your eyes, if that makes sense. And uh, you know, I think that is that competitiveness has helped me, you know, going forward, whether it was high school, college, and in the professional level. I mean, I think that that has continued to drive me is to just, you know, you gotta prove you belong and even if you think you've earned it, you haven't. You got to prove it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And so, you know, it all started at a young age. And I thank you guys for that, for pushing me all those years. Well, to expand on that, how would, how would you describe yourself as a kid? Because part of what I want to plant the seed, because I think it's important later on, but you and Houston, you know, he talked about a little bit. You were both pretty small. You were both feisty, though. You know, you weren't going to back down from anybody. But what... uh how would you describe yourself back then? Look, man, I was, I was competitiveness was high. Ability was probably not so high. <laughs> um, like you said, I just was out there to scrap. That was my job. It wasn't like I had these reckless, you know, basketball skills or baseball skills. It was just like, all right, I want to, I want to win. I want to win. I want to mm-hmm. win. That was all it was, man. So as a kid, that stuff mattered to me. I mean, if we lost a, a throwaway you know, third grade St. Vincent's versus St. Ambrose game. I'm not going to say I cried every time after we lost, but God, I took those hard. Like mm-hmm. what, you, you know, I, if I screwed up, I, you guys first off made me let, let me know that I did, but I didn't need you guys to tell me I'd already was harder on myself than anybody was. So that was me. I was a super competitive kid that, you know, was always, I, I didn't need my parents to yell at me. I didn't need my teammates to tell me I had screwed up. Nobody knew it more than me and nobody, uh, shamed themselves is not the correct term, but nobody was more self-critical. Even, even at the age of five, man, that just stuff that you'd think wouldn't matter to somebody Mm. was all that I cared about Mm. that, that, you know, winning those games Mm -hmm. or winning the, the little random games we played in the backyard, you know, that stuff mattered to me. And so I, I took losses very hard. I took, uh, you know, slights from from you and my brother the same way like that stuff just made me angry Mm. yeah and and for anyone who has seen the pilot or or will see the pilot you know ahead we actually it opens with us playing in hoop fest you know and we're probably nine or ten and it's it's funny because everything you said is all in there it's you watch you in houston and you're you're ahead shorter than everybody but you're you're going you know, a hundred times harder. And that's why I always love playing with you guys because, you know, we called you the little pesky kangaroos just getting <laughs> after people out there. Um, when you, you know, I, I'm curious for you, I asked this to everyone, but what's the answer to the question what do you want to be when you grow up for you? Are, are you asking me what's the question now or what was it then? What was it then? Colin, what was it then? All I wanted to do was be a professional basketball player. Right. I mean, I when you're a little kid, you see your dad out there playing against all these guys and you don't know at that age that this is incredibly rare. You think, oh yeah, everybody's dad does this or, or this is not something, you know, um, something unique. You know, this is just another job that, you know, anybody's dad could have this. And so I thought, yeah, I'll be a professional basketball player. I want to play in the NBA. And as I continued to get older, all of a sudden it starts to make sense. You're going, oh, this guy just isn't out, isn't just out here playing. He's he's one of the best guys out here. He's one of the best guys to ever play this game. You know, as you get older, you start to understand different things and go, 
holy crap, maybe I need to pick something different. You know, mm. I don't know if this just, this doesn't just happen. I either got to pick something different or I got to work a, mm-hmm. a lot harder um, than I have been. So definitely the dream was, I want to be a professional basketball player. And there's a great story to that that I want to get to later on. But I didn't have this written, but I, I do want to talk about it because we didn't talk about it with H. And it's not to, you know, basically showboat or anything like that. But tell us a little bit about your memories kind of just being around the Delta Center, you know, back in the day and, and some of the cool things that would happen behind the scenes, you know. We had to be the luckiest kids on the planet, man. Um, you know, we go to we go to 40 plus home games a year, regular season and playoffs. And so we, you know, we'd literally pile out of the van with mom and dad as <laughs> soon as we'd get to the game. And we were allowed at a certain point, I mean, we could go into the locker room. I could run right into the locker room, go grab a basketball from the back. And if the other team wasn't out there warming up already, I could go fire shots up on the floor before playoff games, you know, and nobody, nobody batted an eye. As soon as anybody got, you know, ready to come out, all right, get off the floor. But I mean, I remember one time, David, my little brother was, was down there playing a one-on-one game with Steve Francis as maybe like a nine-year-old, you know, and Steve Francis yeah. of, of the Houston Rockets was out here just, you know, and one mixtape and him and throwing it off the backboard and dunking it. But that's the kind of stuff that, yeah, we thought that was cool and it happened all the time, but it, it doesn't, you know. And so we got to do that. We got to shoot after the games too. As soon as as the coach Jerry Sloan would walk out, we could go back into the <laughs> locker room, grab the basketballs, and go out again. Um, player run-ins over the years. I mean, I I did an interview one time with Charles Barkley. Cause and from, I have that. I saved that because oh, I have that. Okay, have okay. <laughs> well, if you want, I'll leave that for later. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, just we got to meet incredible people and and do some things that, you know, as a 7-year-old or 10-year-old, you probably take for granted that, you know, you don't take for granted. Now you look back and you say, this is the I'm the luckiest, most spoiled kid on the planet that I got to do that for first 14 years of my life. Absolutely. And me, and, and me as well, you know, just in, in, in the <clears throat> proxy of knowing you guys and yeah, I mean, shooting after the games, it was like, man, I'll never forget that. And then who wouldn't, right? It's like people, you know, will wait hours and hours to try to get on the court to shoot one shot or whatnot. So I, the last thing on the when you're young that I want to ask is we played everything growing up, right? We weren't, we were, we never specialized really at all. And that was part of, I think our parents both wanted that for us, but was, basketball your favorite at that point or was it you were kind of just one of everything else you like to do basketball I can't ever say was my favorite sport uh growing up I loved I loved to watch it I loved to be around it but I I still think American football I say that because I've been in Europe I'm sorry but I still (laughs) think football is my favorite sport um it's the ultimate team game I love watching on tv I loved playing it there's something special about it but when I was playing football, football was my favorite sport. So I guess I lied. Once football would end and basketball started, then basketball was my favorite right. sport for that two months until that was over. And baseball started, then baseball was my favorite sport. So I, I never, it wasn't until way later that, you know, all of a sudden, oh, basketball, this is this is it right here. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> it took me a while to discover that. Well, so before we get to your move to Spokane, I, I want to get to the origins of Mike the Ham, as I'd call it, right? Because you've always had uh, a lot of personality from from an early age. We just dug up, like I was saying, the old footage for Hoop Fest for the pilot. And there was some funny stuff in there, you know, where you're doing a perfect Hot Rod Hunley impression at, at age six or seven or whatever it was. And, you know, you were Nickelodeon gas caster for the Olympics, which we used to tease you about a little bit. But I mean, oh looking back, you were ripping that, right? Like you were doing that. Thousands of people like applied to do that. And you were just out there interviewing Olympians and whatnot. And so, but what I want to ask was actually Charles Barkley. So it's funny that you bring that up because I don't even remember all the details about that, but I feel like it had something to do with just the fact that you know, you had a little personality going for yourself and, and somehow that relationship formed. So tell us about that and just how you might have got into trouble a little bit with with the the ham side of yourself. Yeah, I, I was always a little outgoing. And, you know, some people say that's a uh, <laughs> some people say that's a good thing. Some people say that's a bad thing. I'll let you guys decide. But um, I was actually fairly reputable, let's call it amongst my dad's teammates. And uh, and that comes from jazz teammates, but also 
uh, Olympic teammates, all-star teammates as a pretty funny kid. You know, guys on those teams, even now they'll see my dad and they'll, and then he'll say, Hey, you remember my son, Michael? And they'll look at me and be like, well, you know, Hey, I'm sorry about, or, or there's some sort of story. I'm Clyde Drexler poked my dad's eye one time and I gave him hell for it as a four-year-old <laughs> and at the hall of fame when I'm 19 years old, we see him and he says, Hey, you remember Michael? He says, Hey, I'm sorry, man. You know, so I, I've, I've had run-ins with a lot of the players, especially when I was young. And a lot of these guys, again, this is, this is part of being like the luckiest kid of all time. All these guys were just unbelievably great to me. You know, they were, they were real, they were fun, they were personable. And even they put up with a little, a little, uh, whiny kid, you know, and to where as years went by, Charles was always my favorite mm. player that didn't play for the jazz. And, you know, that relationship had kind of built over the years and years of when they'd come to Utah, I'd, you know, sneak around and go into the visitor's <laughs> locker room, but he'd be there waiting for me to say hello and to talk a little bit. And so it just so happens that, you know, years, years had gone by and I don't know how old I was. I still, it wasn't up to gas caster age yet. I was still probably maybe under 10 years old. And I'm in the locker room after a game talking with Charles, just sitting right next to him and that's when, you know, all the TV crews at some point are, are allowed in and whatnot. And they said, hey, Charles, can we ask him questions? He says, yeah, I'll let you interview me, but only if he asks the questions. Mm. And so that's that's how it all started was they gave me the microphone and I, I, I can't tell you what I said. I can't remember no, much of it. Wasn't it something like, didn't he ask you who your favorite player is and he made you say him or what? Oh, yeah. Wasn't no, that, that it or that something? That definitely happened. Um, <laughs> of course, he made me say him, but he was my favorite player that didn't play for the Jazz. Right. But I don't think... Uh, I don't think I specified it at that uh, moment in time. That's funny. Yes, I couldn't remember that, but that's that's cool to fill in the gaps. All right, so Utah ends up, you know, being an interesting part of your story. So it won't be the last we talk about it. But let's get to your transition to Spokane. So you come back as an eighth grader, and give, give me some height and weight stats at that point. Oh yeah, man. So when we moved back officially, I remember we started. So I started high school here in Spokane. So we we moved back for the summer freshman football starts, I go in, I'm not, I'm not five feet tall yet. And I don't weigh a hundred pounds yet. So I, I am. Oh, still, right. So you weren't in eighth grade. You were no, going in. Yeah. School, I, had, right, right. I had graduated, <laughs> graduated from eighth grade, <laughs> yeah. um, finished eighth grade in Salt Lake and started high school here. So I was under five feet and under a hundred pounds. I crossed those thresholds <laughs> some point in my <laughs> freshman year of high school. Oh man. Well, yeah, I'm glad you filled in those gaps because that that's the, that's the trajectory I want to sort of track here. So What's your feeling going into high school? You're now a full-time Spokane resident, right? You hadn't been here early on other than, you know, a month, you know, in the summers, then you'd spend a month at, you know, here before school started. But what kind of opportunity did you see for yourself as an athlete at that point? God, I'm not even sure if I saw an opportunity. I just, you know, hopefully I would get a chance to play. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I, I, maybe you'll dispute this, but I almost could guarantee to you that if we would have stayed in Salt Lake, I would have, I would not have made any of these teams going forward. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now because the place mm. was just loaded with guys that played my position. I mean, you look at it, there's between Drew and, and even Chad Meske, I'm just mm-hmm. naming names here, but there's, there's a couple of guys that were my age and younger that were division one point guards, Jackson, Meyer, Jackson, yeah. Meyer, Stalin, Saldivar, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's no way in hell that I get a look over these guys. <laughs> and now I was a competitor. I knew how to play. I felt I was tough. But there's a certain point where the cookie cutter wins, you know what I mean? And and at that time I didn't fit that. I wasn't I wasn't big, I wasn't strong, I was recklessly undersized where these guys weren't. So when I came here, again, I didn't think about this till years later. It was almost like a fresh start that I got I probably got the benefit of, all right, we don't know this guy and we don't know his flaws yet. <laughs> and so we'll kind of give him the benefit of the doubt when maybe I didn't deserve it, maybe I did, but it was a fresh start in that reason. And and it probably gave me a chance to actually compete and and attempt to be a leader or not even a leader but attempt to be you know high on on the totem pole whereas mm. you know in salt lake i was already very well known you're nowhere near there mm. well so in my recollection your big jump kind of happened between junior and senior year and does that sound right to you yeah yeah physically that was definitely when it happened so physically you covered that but i'm curious like what what do you think changed in that time because you were at that point you were sort of backing up Houston, right 
And then senior year, you kind of get the reins and, and you develop a little bit more physically. You've obviously been putting in a lot of work at that point. And one thing that I want to get to with you is you always had this ability year after year where you were always just getting a lot better. So what do you think changed and, and what happened there? Well, I'd, I'd say honestly, Luke, that that didn't even happen when I was in high school. That happened as soon as I finished my, I'll give you the quick context. Yeah, I did back up my older brother who I felt the entire time I was a much better player than even, <laughs> even as a kid. I said, why does this guy get to start and play the minutes? I swear I'm better. But um, there's something about just putting your head down and going to work. And, you know, I had a little bit of an attitude. I could be a complainer, mostly to the refs. <laughs> but there's certain things that, you know, it makes sense why you wouldn't get the nod. My senior year, I was okay. Um, I felt I was actually fairly disappointing. I, I had played well, but we had some good players and and we didn't have a great team. Um, but anyways, I felt I, I started to make jumps as a basketball player it was that summer before I started college. I remember my dad grabbed me and said, if, if you think you're putting in the work to continue to play this game, you're dead wrong. And it wasn't until I stopped playing all these other sports and actually said, okay, basketball is the direction I want to go. And, and I'm putting, it's, it's time to go. We're putting in mm -hmm. the time. And, you know, I had, I had a lot of good help. I, you know, my dad was right, right there. You know, any questions I had, any, anything I felt I needed to work on, he was ready for me. And so we just put in work, um, physically and on the basketball court, you know, he kind of started putting me through the stuff that he used to do back in the day with mm -hmm. Steve DeLong, the former strength and conditioning and trainer and literally uh, jack of all trades for Gonzaga for about 30 years. And so that was when those jumps started to happen because I finally started to do it full time. And I saw, oh God, these guys, I thought that were so much better than me. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm right here. I can compete mm -hmm. with these guys. And it wasn't until I took it seriously, for lack of a better term, that that kind of stuff started to happen for me. And I love that story. You beat me to it, but I was going to bring that up because that's something I'll always, you know, I'll never forget that the, you had the talk with Jay and you were kind of, I think it was like you were considering playing in college and he was kind of like, look, you know, if this is something you want to do, you need to, you need to set your expectations a lot higher for yourself, you know, so to speak. So I, I love that story, but, and it was right around that time. I remember, I think, so that would have been my freshman year of college. And then I think I came back and we played hoop fest and I'll never forget that year either. Cause that was the time, you know, you were always the guy that was going to do whatever it took. And I would have never chose anyone to play with anybody different than you in Houston, but you know, H and I were probably taking most of the shots, you know, early on most of the time, yeah. you know, doing all that. But I remember specifically that year, you were just getting to the bucket at will. And 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 then hoop fest, that's not easy, right? Because you're battling through a lot of arm bars and everything you can think of. But I just had this moment of like, Mike's the guy now, you know, and then let's get it to him. Cause we were also both playing football. <laughs> so football it was like, guys. so I was like, dude, let's just get it to Mike and get out of the way here a little bit. And it kind of continued like that for as long as you ended up playing hoop fest, which was probably only three or four years later. But, um, okay. So you, you make that commitment to the game and, and I love that you talk about how you get in, start doing the workouts. Cause that was a big thing for me too. When I switched from football to basketball, I realized I've never really focused only on basketball before. So it is a big thing. And nowadays it's like kids do that from five years old or six mm -hmm. years old, mm -hmm. but you get to, so you, you, it comes down to it. You're considering a couple colleges and you end up at Westminster college in downtown Salt Lake city, which is a school I drove by every day going to high school, which is funny. And, and, you know, I will, I'll always have memories of Westminster, but, um, I remember you saying you didn't even know where you were going to go until the words just came out of your mouth. Tell, tell me that story. Yeah. So <clears throat> long story short, I wasn't much of a prospect. You know, I didn't have any scholarship <laughs> offers. I had dad and I had literally gotten in the car and kind of called a couple of colleges nearby and said, Hey, can I show up, play with your guys and see if maybe you'd be willing to accept me as a walk-on on your team. And so long story short, it came down to Carroll college and NAI school in Helena, Montana and Westminster and Salt Lake. And, and a lot of people from Gonzaga prep went to Carroll college, which is where I went to high school at Gonzaga prep. A lot of people went to Carroll college to play football. They were just a good NAI team. And we had a lot of those level guys. And so you know, when I went on that recruiting visit, all the guy had to say was, yeah, you know, uh, we will, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take a flyer on you. Cause I was like, cool, this is comfortable. It's not too far from home. I know everybody yeah. that's going here. It'll be just like high school again. And, uh, 
you know, I went on the recruiting trip to Westminster recruiting trip. I called <laughs> them and asked if they could, pl- if I could play. And right. I just felt really good about that. And they kind of continued to reach out to me. So it wasn't until a while after I had done both of those that one day I just walked down the stairs. I said, all right, I probably got to make a decision on this. So I walked down the stairs of my parents' house. My dad was sitting in a room just on a couch and I just walked in. I said, all right, I'm going to say, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to say something. And I walk in, I just say, dad, I think I'm going to go to Westminster. And he said, all right, great. Well, start, uh, we better start, you know, filling out the paperwork. <laughs> and so it was just like that. I didn't know, I knew it was going to be one of those two. And, uh, you know, luckily I think I, I think I made, I know I made the right decision. It was, yeah. it was one of my better ones. And that's, I love that story because it's so hard when you're 18, right. To know anything about where you're going or what to do. And, and it's a big decision. And especially if, if people aren't beating <clears throat> down your door saying, Hey, we want you here, then you're taking an even bigger risk, right? Because you don't, you're kind of putting your your career and your future and what you care about in somebody else's hands. So you you get back to Utah and at the time I'm playing football at Utah State and and but I'm coming back to Salt Lake often. And I remember you calling me on the phone and to tell me you were going to Westminster. And it was funny because you know we would we would see each other at Hoop Fest and we'd catch up then. But that was really the only times we were talking much at that yeah. point. It wasn't like we were you know talking on the phone. There was no social media really at that point. Um, but I remember we had that combo and it was like, we just picked up like it was yesterday so much so that the first day you're in Salt Lake, you're out there running routes for me Oh yeah, <laughs> in my old cleats, which are three <laughs> times too big for you. Um, was that your first day or what? That was my first day. I, we got off the plane. We did a small amount of shopping and moved myself in mom and dad left. They went back to Spokane and you called me and said, Hey man, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing nothing. So, all right, well, I, I need some help. I said, I'm your guy. And we went and, you know, Luke was a quarterback. Then I just ran routes for probably about two and a half hours <laughs> out at out at Judge Memorial there. And uh, that was one of the days that I was like, yeah, Lou and I are still bros. Nothing has changed. And this isn't going anywhere. It was mm-hmm. That was one of, my, one of my favorite days of my life at that point was just going out there and kind of rekindling that friendship by just doing what we always did, which was getting after it. To that point, what did it hit you at that moment being back? Like, did you have that perspective of like, you'd been gone for four years or whatever, and now you're back or did it, did it take a minute to, for it to hit? That was really the moment, man. Um, you know, it's, it wasn't like the, the Mike Jordan retirement. I'm back. Right. You know, there's no fanfare behind this. <laughs> right. I, you know, we moved away, boo hoo. And then it just randomly, I came back to college there, but that was a moment that made me know. I was like, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be, man. This is mm-hmm. the right place. I know a ton of people here. I'm comfortable um, cause you know, that four years isn't a long time, but then when you can, you know, meet up with, with someone who was your best friend before you didn't have all that much time together since, and it just rolls like it always used to, that was the moment, man. It just, I knew it was all, mm-hmm. it was all going to be good. And just like your family, you know, looks out for me. You had my parents there too, for holidays and things like that. But absolutely. anyway, you, you know, you work your butt off to get to college I, I think at this point you got to, you have a different mindset, right? And, and, and you, uh, but now you're back at the bottom of the totem pole, you know, and now you kind of have this rise to get there, but now you're back at the bottom and, and you're playing for what we'll call a straight shooter and Tommy Connor, right. Oh, yeah. Was, was on Majerus' staff. And if anyone knows much about Majerus, you know, he was, <laughs> he was a hard, uh, coach uh, to say the least. Um, but walk me through some of the, the hard learned lessons of that first year. I mean, there was a million hard learned lessons. First off, you know, all you ever hear about when you're growing up is, oh, D1 this, D1 that. And so, you know, all I knew of college basketball was essentially Gonzaga. And, you know, from when I was a kid, the University of Utah, who had played in the final four when we were kids. So, you know, you see these guys on TV and that's what you know. So you think, especially here, I'm I'm playing in the summers with Gonzaga guys and I don't, I'm not a a bum, right? I'm not one of the guys that's killing, but I, I feel I can compete at that level. So soon as I'm going to this school, I'm like, oh yeah, NAI, like I'm, I'm going to just kill this. You know, you got this mindset that it's just inferior. Good Lord, did I learn right away that that was not true. I, I backed up an all-American point guard named Danny Reeder who just abused me seemingly every <laughs> single day. Now I made it tough for him. I felt that we, that we made each other better, but like, I said, God, I thought this was going to be easy. I thought I was going to come in here and kill. I barely even, pl- like I, there was no reason for me to play. The only reason I eventually did is because like I think Danny got food poisoning and <laughs> yeah. he had to put me in the game. That was the kind of thing I, I, so I, I learned a million hard lessons, man. I went in, I remember the first game we played, 
because we had a good team. We're we're up like 25 or something in our first game of the year, and I haven't played yet. There's maybe like two minutes left. Throws me in in garbage time, and I am just they call it garbage time for a reason because I am garbage at this point. Like, I think I get the ball taken from me. I turn it over twice. I just suck. And you know that. So we play the next game. Same thing happens. I don't play during the game. He puts me in a garbage time. I'm trash again. And so he doesn't even say anything to me. But then as like, you know, I think the first two or three games that actually happened where I got to go in at garbage time. And then as the season kind of went on, we played three or four more games. Same kind of thing happens. I don't go in in garbage time. So I'm like, all right, he's, it's over for me. He's written Mm -hmm. me off. I'm going to continue to work, but he's already decided he's just flat, not ready. I mean, something he always used to say is, yep, get him out. I can't play freshman. (laughs) JLo, go get me some Juco guys. Give me some guys that know how to play. Like that was one of his things. And so again, I'm making this very long and I apologize, but one game finally comes up. We're playing against Dixie state in St. George, uh, Utah division Mm -hmm. two team. And our coaches are fairly rivals. They were coaches together on the Majerus staff back in the day. And apparently they didn't like each other very much. So this was a big game for us. And we get into St. George late. We get our very, I think we get five bucks to go get a meal. You know, we're Mm -hmm. not, our our meal allowances and stuff isn't exactly what you'd expect. And, you know, so a bunch of guys are like, all right, what's down there? There's a Dairy Queen close by. So somebody, Danny goes, the Dairy Queen gets food poisoning. So the next day he's throwing up. We got this game. We're doing a walkthrough on a tennis court. Tommy says, all right, you know, Jordan, you're going to play. You need to know this. Wes, if I have to throw you in it back up, you need to know this. And he goes, Stockton, if for some godforsaken reason I put you in the <laughs> ball game, you you should know this too. And so I said, oh, wow, I have zero <laughs> chance to play. <laughs> he ended up, as uh, I, I think somebody got hurt right away or we just were struggling out of the gates and he put me in and I just was I'm not trying to, I just played really well. Yeah. I felt like, I felt like I was a mile high. I felt yeah. so good. I, I scored, I passed it. I just like, I felt like I had just been let, an animal let mm-hmm. out of the cage for the first time. And uh, when I thought after that, that I was going to start playing a lot, <laughs> I was wrong again. <laughs> I was right back yeah. to the point where he would put me in, in garbage time. And I had to learn how to, how to play at that. And so again, there's a million more lessons but those are the initial ones is it doesn't matter what you do. You got to continue to improve and you got to bring it every single time. doesn't matter up 20, down 20 mm-hmm. or a real game. That was my biggest adjustment was, all right, if I'm not going to go in when it's real, I got to be good when it's, when mm-hmm. it's not. And, and Westminster was a heck of a program and, and <clears throat> largely, be, you know, comes from the top and he was a heck of a coach and you had a lot of great team success over those next few years. You know, you, you made it pretty far in the tournament a couple of times. Um, but as a senior, you know, similar to before, I just saw you because this is right in this time too. I'm making my transition to basketball. So I was coming up here and working mm-hmm. out with you guys. And then we would go and work out a lot. We'd go to Westminster and play and stuff. And I just saw you year after year after year, you know, take leap after leap after leap. And some of that was physical and some of that was just, again, specializing in it, caring about it, working hard at it, taking it serious. But, um, you know, you go on to have this All-American season as a senior, and this is before the days of the transfer portal, so I'm not saying you'd bounce on your boys, but I said it then and I'd say it now. You know, I think you could have played for anybody at any division by the end of your time in college. So what what do you see, look back on and, and remember as that transition is kind of happening for you personally and as, you know, as the team is growing? You know, for me personally, I'll say, I'll start with that. It was just a lot of a lot of battles throughout the years that I felt all right. You know, it's like, I, I, I won this battle. I won this battle, keep moving forward. And, and it stems from, again, coach was coach was on my ass for lack of a better term. And so was our assistant coach who were both former college point guards. One of them, our assistant coach played at Westminster, was an all American and was still in great shape, would come out there and kill guys. And so these guys were on me 24 seven. And, you know, I, I wasn't even a guy. I was kind of, even when I was young, when I was a, a, a nobody, they were on me. And so I kind of learned like, maybe these guys see something in me that I don't even see in myself. And so, you know, we'd bring in recruits and I swear every recruit we brought in was a point guard, every single one. Cause I hadn't gotten <laughs> it done. Right. And that's fair. Every guy we brought in point guard and then they'd come into play and I made it my goal to run this guy out of the gym, whoever it might've been. And, you know, if I, if I won that battle, then it was on to the next, then on to the next. And then by the time you know, my junior year rolled around. We had a really good team and I was a big part of it. I, I never started a game. I was our sixth man all year, but 
I'd go in, you know, three minutes in the game, I'd never come out. And there was just this, all of a sudden I knew that these guys, not only did they care about me, but they trusted me, um, you know, at, at as high of a level as they trusted anyone on the team. And then going into my senior year, it was, it was just even more so to where I knew that, all right, now there are no other point guards. I'm the guy that has to, and, and, you know, all of our stuff was point guard mm-hmm. centric. You know, you had to be locked in at that position, especially with two coaches who were demanding and who knew how to play it. And so the trust those guys put into me all while never, ever uh, catering to me, never kissing my rear end, you know, they were tough on me, but I knew that they cared about me and trusted me. And when the time came, the ball was in my hands. I had, I had ultimate confidence in myself because those guys believed in me. Mm. I remember that year and that was fun. And I, I remember you guys got beat on some of the most random things ever that year, like three half court shots and all kinds of stuff. But, um, now usually at this point, this is where we get to the, the every athlete dies twice period, you know, cause that's a kind of a theme of the pilot mm-hmm. and holding on to, to what you love and all that. But with this guy, this athlete's very much alive. You, uh, you, you went on to, to continue playing overseas. And, and what I want to get into with your early years playing overseas is what's the transition. And then, you know, because behind the glitz and glam of saying you're a professional basketball player, it's a heck of a grind. And, and I've seen it and, and we all kind of know a lot of those guys that go over there. And especially it seems like in those first one to two, three years, that's where it's really hard for people to kind of pass that threshold so talk about just that initial transition and in, in your early years. Yeah. Um, so my first, I signed the first contract I got out of college. I wasn't sure I'd ever get one. And this was before YouTube and stuff. So I was literally sending DVDs out to Germany, to Austria, wherever I could, you know, find people that would maybe take them. First contract offer I get is from BG Karlsruhe in Germany. And I sign it. I sign a two-year deal, which, you know, in Europe, it doesn't happen that often. Everybody's trying to especially at that level, second league in Germany, everybody's trying to, it's like Juco, everyone wants to play their way out. So you don't want to be locked in for two years. I had, I didn't know better. I was just like, first contract, no money. I don't care. Someone's going to pay right. me to play. I'm <laughs> in, I might not get another one of these. And so I didn't wait around much. And when I got over there, again, it was kind of the the same lessons to learn. My first game I have, I played great. I have like 21 and 10. I'm like, this league is weak. I'm going to be out of here so quick. <laughs> Next game, I get my ass kicked by some five, six little Jack Black looking lefty, like a little portly point guard that just mm. killed me. And I go, and I, I think I scored two points. I go, oh God, this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. And so like you said, man, that grind is tough because it can break a lot of people going yeah. to a new place for the first time. You know, you're not making, you're not making money at all. And a lot of, especially a lot of Americans in a foreign country can just fold in that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was lucky that I I feel I was curious. I was curious about the language. I was curious about the people. Mm. Um, And then I fell in with a great group of people that were kind of around the team that were, you know, for lack for the college term, let's call it, they were friends of the program boosters. They weren't a part of it, but they were nearby at all times. And they were just so good to me. They, you know, they were always welcoming. They always have barbecues, have people over. And that just made me feel like I was a part of that community. I wasn't a foreigner um, in a strange land. This was like my family. Mm. And I feel that that helped me so much as to, I didn't care about not making money. I didn't care about the sacrifices we were making. I felt that these people just looked out for me. And so did some of my teammates that were veterans um, to where I, I look back on that experience. I had such a great time because they helped me through that period where you know, a lot, a lot of guys fold and a lot of guys better than I am mm-hmm. couldn't make it through because of certain other factors that I, I felt I had a lot of help. And Germany was probably the <clears throat> perfect place, right? You know, cause the way I'd say it is you're, you're a meat and potatoes guy, right? And they're, uh, they're kind of no nonsense over there. They, they, you know, you got your schnitzel and your beer and you're going to, they like basketball and you're going to have a good time just, you know, being part of that culture and you're never going to go hungry as well, which I know is a big <laughs> one for you. Um, so you have some stops in between, but I want to get to say, let's, let's call it like your middle career. You know, you're now playing in the top league and you're playing in Göttingen, Germany. Um, and that's a, that's a fond memory point in my life as well, because I, I have left my corporate job at this point 
and I'm traveling Europe and I finally get to fulfill my promise to see my guy playing overseas. Cause you've been over there. What year was that? When I, I think you showed up my sixth. No, that was my seventh season was the first year you would come over. Okay. So you played there two years, seventh and eighth years yep. around that time. Okay. And then, but that, uh, that leads me to one of my favorite stories that you have to tell, which is how did my involvement in the fan section briefly break your in-game concentration one day and i'll and i'll preface i i want to also <clears throat> shout this out because for both of us got was such a special place i have the shirt on today oh you know, yeah tanners. shout out to tanners and uh those people really embraced me and i think largely that was because you were their guy you know you were the captain right and you mm-hmm. were after the games they'd have you come out and, and give a little talk to everyone or whatever it was and so but anyway let's uh Tell me about that moment where where you get the concentration a little bit peaked. Oh yeah. Well, first I got I do have to shout out Gottingen and and the fans in that basketball community. I mean, those people were great. Um, win or lose, they always supported you, and they were so much fun too. So I, again, I'm still in touch with a lot of those folks. But Luke comes and visits and is essentially using my apartment as home base for his Euro travels. And he says to me, he says, hey you know, if I'm going to go to some of these games, I don't want to just, you know, sit up in the, up in the nosebleeds of, it's not a big stadium, but I want to sit in the back row. Like, let me be down there with the fans. Let me get in on this. I said, okay, I'll talk to one of the leaders of the fan club and see uh, if they got a spot for you, but I can't promise you anything. And, uh, you know, that's, that's all I can do. And so we get to the game. They had accepted Luke as a, as you know, an honorary member. So I walked into the gym. I saw the lady, her name's Micah. I said, all right, Micah, here's Luke. The guy I was telling you about, you know, you guys are got it. I'm going to go play a game now. And so I, I left it at that. I had no idea where this guy would be, but they were sitting. So our fan club would always sit right behind our basket that we would uh, play to, I believe, in the first half. And so somewhere during the first half, I have I don't see Luke like during the warmups. I don't know how. I'm just pretty focused. I'm not looking for him. And I'm shooting a free throw somewhere mid first half. And as the ball gets thrown to me, I just look like he's just like, if I'm looking straight at the basket, just slightly off to my right, I see Luke, and this is on camera, so I'll give you a demonstration, but I just see him with this big smile and a drum just going, and I just start laughing. I'm like, I like, can't shoot the free throw. I have to stop, take my dribbles again, and then shoot, because I was like, I had no idea he was there. And uh, one, of, one of my favorite overseas memories is definitely that. For better or for worse, because I don't know that I'm proud that I, I broke your concentration mid-game, but it was such a cool thing, and I'll never forget that. I used to I had to put in like the the earplugs and all that because it's so loud in there. And that's a really cool thing about Europe is the way they kind of you see it a lot with like soccer and 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 all that, where after the games you go around and you you high five everyone, and it seems like there's a lot more emphasis put on that like fan interaction there would you agree absolutely that's you know that's part of their selling point is again we're not we're not uh we're not lebron we're not kevin durant we're not making millions of dollars and you know we can kind of now these people know who we are but we're we're every man you know we're just a normal guy and Mm. that's what's fun about it is that community is embracing of you and they're and it's not in a weird way you know it's it's they just like that you're willing to come and 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 wear the colors and represent them in their city. And that's definitely a selling point for a lot of places in Europe, more so than it is in the States, but it's also because we're not mega stars, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and we're worried about people, you know, doing stupid things or getting into bad situations over there. It's just like, you know, it's just kind of a friendly thing. So yeah, they definitely, that's a selling point for a lot of teams. And I've been lucky to play for a lot of teams that have good fan bases that have allowed you know me to be very comfortable with that Mm -hmm. and actually enjoy it well and and i want to add this in because i've been to many of these places too but you've what was the wildest like fan environment or like league because you played in greece you've played in russia you've played in ukraine you've played you know you've played all over and a lot of the time we see these stories or you see the instagram videos but what's like something that stands out to give people an idea of just how insane people take it over there i'll just give you one from uh my short time in greece i played two months in patras greece which is a phenomenal place and you're the only time i ever saw police in my time in greece was riot police in between fan clubs at our basketball games whether it was at home or on the road that's the Mm. only time you ever saw the cops was there and 
you had to your bench, you know, NBA bench, you see it, it's right there on the floor. You think, okay, you know, you can, you could reach out and touch the players in Greece. You've literally got a plexiglass shield that's over <laughs> the top of you because the Greeks, if they're not happy, they'll rain down Euro coins. They'll throw batteries. They'll do all of it. And so I'd say Greece was the wildest, but every time we do like a jump ball to start the game, just the tip off, as soon as the ref would walk up, everybody would be kind of like on edge and silent, but nobody would be, mm. you know, everybody was like restless. You could see it. And then all of a sudden the ball would go up and just everyone just chucks like streamers and confetti to where like, it's like a, you can't even see the players anymore. If it was a, a camera from, you know, mm. behind the fans, you go, now we'd have to wait 10 minutes for everyone to sweep it up. And then the game could start with whoever caught the ball would, you know, throw the yeah. ball in. But that's Greek. Greece was the wildest of the places I would play. And I mean, every game there'd be flares lit before the games. I mean, you'd feel like you were smoked out before the game because in the fan club, they're lighting off fireworks and flares and waving mm -hmm. flags. And then everyone smokes cigarettes at halftime. Right. They don't even make them go outside. So you're, you're catching some oh good secondhand gosh. smoke in Greece, but wildest place for me was there. Well, that, uh, that kind of brings us to your, your current career status. So you played the last two years in France and those two have looked a little bit different for you. You, you were married last year and you finally have uh, a much better partner in crime than I ever was to come home to. That's for sure. Um, what's it been like to, to share that adventure over there for the first time? Cause I know that's a, that's a hard part of it too, is being over there on your own. Yeah, definitely. I, that's, that's been phenomenal, man. My wife Paige is, has been such a warrior in regards to this. I mean, the last two years she's been with me. And so we weren't married the first year and we were in Kiev, Ukraine, which was a great place. But then mm. the first year I have anybody out there with me, we literally have to flee this place five days before, you know, missiles are hitting the city and a war breaks out. And so I'm like, I couldn't and pause know. there for a second. Cause I didn't even think to talk about that, but that was a crazy experience. So, because I remember we're talking to you, Hey, is everything good? And you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, they're telling us it's fine. And then kind of walk through that that last couple of days before you left everybody on our staff was saying you know everybody in ukraine has lived with this threat um for 30 years because it was the 30 year anniversary of their independence mm -hmm. from from the former soviet union and so this is an everyday threat for people in ukraine or anywhere in eastern europe really is oh it could go bad at any time and so you know everybody is watching their news in the states and calling us, going, "God, are Russian troops on the ground? Do you guys have to leave?" And I'm going, "No." And this is in December, you know, guys, everything's fine here. But that's the message you're getting from the higher ups and, and your coaches mm -hmm. and teams, guys. Like this is this is another day for us. We can't sit here and panic because this is how it goes all the time, and that's hard to deal with for us because we don't understand that here. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't understand how it works there. And so the fact that they can, you know, kind of not smile in the face of that, but that they're comfortable going on is a testament to them. And so as time, you know, kept going on, things kept happening and, and you know, things would kind of progress, but nothing was happening on the ground. Eventually, here's what kind of uh, raised the alarms for my wife and I was the U.S. Embassy in Kiev packed their bags and said, all right, we're moving all of our personnel out of here and we're closing up shop. And so when that happens, that means you better get the hell out because something is imminent who knows when who knows how and when that happened um i think on a saturday evening they said monday we're packing up bags and leaving town so we played a game on sunday we came home that night it was super bowl sunday page my wife had already packed the entire apartment and i i told our team that night i don't care what happens you can find me you can cut me i'm leaving mm -hmm. and a couple other guys left when i did and we we were lucky we caught flights out of there and got home and were able to avoid the worst of what happened five days later but i had some teammates that were still there that had you know three-day journeys of planes trains bunkers automobiles mm -hmm. just to get out of the country as it started so it really wasn't um and then some U ukrainian us. teammates who basically had to join arms right and there's <laughs> so like they wouldn't let able-bodied Ukrainian men out of the country. Now, not necessarily guys didn't have to, you know, put on the put on the mm -hmm. fatigues and grab a gun and stand post, but they wouldn't let guys leave. Mm. And so that was that was tough because you know I felt bad because all you know all of our American guys we were able to get out no matter even if it was the the difficult ones for some of my teammates or the easy way for me we were able to leave. Yeah. And so luckily all of my teammates were able to uh, you know nobody nothing bad happened thankfully. And eventually guys were able to get out by getting a contract in, in, uh, you know, mm. somewhere in Germany or in Poland or something when they had a contract, 
they could get out, but it took a while for the league to kind of shut things down to where that could even, you know, they could even roll in that department. Wow. That's wild. And anyway, so you, you played the last two years in France and you play this year in Poe, France, and you're an all-star, which is how many all-stars is that now for you at this point? I think that's three for me now. (laughs) That's three for me. Um, (laughs) But uh, what I want to say with that is, you know, you've played, all over you've played in every different league every league has a little bit something different but but uh in france they have one guy in particular who's a little bit different right who's considered the consensus some people are saying the best prospect of all time yeah. what you've played against him a couple two or three times yeah, three year? times now what, what what's your thoughts on him and what's your evaluation of him I, I think Victor's going to have a really good career for for those who don't know what we're talking about Victor Wenbanyama is a seven five French phenom who can dribble the basketball, can shoot it. Um, unbelievable shot blocker. So I think this guy's fantastic. Now there's obviously going to be some things that, you know, for any rookie that comes in, it's it's tough to come in and dominate right away. So will that happen? Who knows? But this guy has every everything you could want from a player. He has the ability. He has it. He's And he's not just a tall this stuff doesn't happen just because he's tall and got long arms. Right. I mean, this guy has timing. He has basketball IQ. He's smart. Um, I, I wish that guy a ton of luck. Cause I think he, I think he's a good player. I think he's a, a good kid and, and, uh, ultimately a competitor, but he's the real deal in my opinion. And I think, uh, I think once he gets over here and, and, you know, provided he stays healthy, I think people are going to see a really good player, very yeah. good player. Well, it's, it's cool that you've played against him and it'll be fun to track his career. So speaking of careers, I, I have to finish with this one on the, the basketball stuff is how long do you go? What's uh you're you're as real rat as they come and you you stay in shape and and have managed to stay pretty dang healthy so are you uh any any thoughts of that at this point or is it just full go? You know I'm of course you always think about this but I don't have a time frame on it. I still love doing it. My wife loves the process of it too, which is a very important thing as you see. And I I like you said body feels good and I still absolutely am driven to compete i love to compete the thrill of it keeps me going and and as long as those things are in place man and i'm still a valuable you know a valuable piece to a team i'm i'm gonna continue to play i love it and uh i don't want to stop yet well we'll see if you can you can surpass jay's 41 uh that would be let's get you to 42 i'll I'll campaign for that and then i can be out there hitting the drum at 42 and that would be i'd be 43 at that point i really hope that we can make that (laughs) right i hope so too um all right so before we finish with the real rat quiz speaking of Paige, uh we had her shoot some footage two years ago now oh yeah of uh you playing the role of Mike Stonks, and the way I describe that is, uh, we brought Mike in basically to you know play the ham just like he was as a kid, and and as the the role is essentially an over the top hoops trainer is the way I describe it. Um, so what what was that experience like, and and being on the inside of of the real rat journey as it's evolved over the last few years? Yeah, you know, I'm absolutely thrilled that you would involve me in in this. You know, that was my first thought on it was. Yeah, dude, I'd, I'd be happy to be a part of it. And when you described what you're looking for, I just started laughing. I said, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. And in, in you know, the basketball line of work, again, I you see a lot of trainers. And a lot of guys get a bad reputation because of a few guys that, you know, everybody's trying to look, oh, I just want to be different. I want to do the new, fresh thing. And then so, you, you know, you've seen a lot of people making fun of it. Guys are getting tennis balls hit at them mm-hmm. and, you know, rolling over on the ground and dribbling and, and having cones flying at him from all over the place. And so I said, there's so many of these that are ridiculous. And, you know, again, not to, not to knock the guys that, that do this and do a good job because a lot of these guys are, are, you know, moving the game of basketball mm-hmm. forward. And I appreciate that. You know I mean? I, anybody that loves the game enough to, to try to make those marks, I respect that. And mm-hmm. so with that being said, there's enough guys out there that I think are just ridiculously over the top. And so I said, okay, I'm going to model this performance on that. <laughs> and when I, cause I, yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of good footage. Paige was out there with the iPad yeah, anchored and filming a lot of this crap that I had. And in France, in, yeah, in, your, in, in France, the arena, yeah. in, in the <laughs> arena, in uh Shalom rhymes. And as I'm watching these, I'm going, I felt I was just being so over the top ham, ridiculous. 
And by the time I'm watching them, I mean, the one that made it into the movie, I'm like, I've literally heard guys say this kind of crap. Like, oh, yeah, you right. get away with this in Europe and it's no problem. And yeah, that guy says that because he's never played a game in Europe in his life. Right. Um, <laughs> so long story short, all the, you know, a lot of guys, I didn't feel I was as ridiculous and over the top as I thought I was being. I was like, actually, this is a lot of guys are trying to sell yeah. crap just like this. And so that was where the performance came from. And I'm glad you were able to include it. Well, what's really funny, too, is is like, Deshaun who helped do the color grade and he'd watched it a lot and I showed it to a couple people early on and they would say it's most people's you know favorite part or they think it's the most you know hilarious part but they're like he he was like man I, I believed him like can you do that over there or like is this a move so like it, it really wasn't even that over the top in the long run so which I think lend itself to it a little bit um but yeah that was that was fun. And it, it's been fun to, you know, to, to show you scripts and do all that. Cause just like for Houston, you know, I asked him what's kind of been the most surprising part to him. Cause it's not like you guys had ever done anything like this before. Uh -huh. So yeah. All right. Well on that note, let's, let's wrap it up with the, the real rat quiz. Um, so you know how this works, you know, the drill, whatever comes to mind. Um, all right. Number one, what's one line or phrase from a coach that you still remember? favorite one and I use it all the time I think it all the time is one that uh my dad said to all of us as we were kids all the time is you've always got something left in the tank hmm. and uh I take that with me every single day he has a lot of them um <laughs> two most embarrassing hoops moment I've got a few of those as well but I'll, I'll go way back to when I was in between my freshman and sophomore years of high school every summer we'd play in the West Valley Summer League uh, out at West Valley High School, and so in Utah. It, no, no, no. Here in uh, here oh, in Spokane. Okay. So when I was uh, going into my sophomore year, I'm playing with the G Prep JV team, and I'm on like I get like an outlet pass. I'm dribbling, and there's kind of a guy in my way. It's kind of like a fast break, but I'm going full speed, and you know I'm kind of going for like an on the run through the leg. So I'm not like planting two feet. It's just one, and it's just kind of all in one movement. And as I do it, the ball catches like right in between, like essentially just trips me. And I go straight down, both knees just crack on the ground and I fall over. I think the guy grabs it, takes it for a layup. And I just remember being so embarrassed. <laughs> I, it was, it was miserable. That's hilarious. Okay. Uh, three best line of trash talk you've received or witnessed and you can modify if need be. Best line of trash talk I've received or witnessed. <laughs> all the ones I want to say, I feel like, can't. Yeah. but, uh, I'll say one like this, a guy, and I, and I've since used this as a joke with like kids at the GU camp, but a guy, you know, said something along the lines of like, you better Google me. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that was hysterical because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, if Mike James said that, that's a very good European right. player. I understand that one, but this guy wasn't a Mike James level player. This guy was a second league German level player. And he said, you better Google me. And right. I just thought it was hysterical. Very modern trash talk yeah. as well. I like that. Um, all right. Number four, uh, favorite basketball movie. Without hesitation, it's Hoosiers. Hmm. That, that's probably been the most said thus far, I'd say, which which we grew up on into classic. We grew up on it, Lou, but I got to add this. It's not just because of the basketball. That movie has it all. It's it's the music. It's the score, the, the cinematography, the, mm -hmm. the message of, you know, little guys can do it. The underdog can do it. Hoosiers by far. Okay. All right. And, and last one, who's the first person in Spokane that comes to mind when you think of the ultimate real rat? And you know some of the ones who've been mentioned. So if there's somebody else that, that stands out that you want to shout out, who would that be? Ultimate rats. I'll give you a couple actually. Cause I know Shan Furch has been mm -hmm. said, but he's without question one. I think, I think Jay mm -hmm. is definitely a real rat. That's who Mike said, Mike Nelson. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he would know that. And, and I'll give a shout out to a guy that's not always here. He's currently playing in Puerto Rico. I think that Jake Wiley is an ultimate rat around here. Mm. Um, for a guy that plays professionally, he's up every day at like five in the morning, getting multiple workouts, playing at multiple different gyms during the course of a day. I think that guy is absolutely a real rat. Is he from here? Not not originally. He's from California and moved to Newport when he was in high school. Okay. To Newport. And did he go to, he went to college around here? He went to LC State and then finished at Eastern. Okay, cool. All right, Mike, you nailed it. Um, 
can't thank you enough for getting it in. I know you're about to get out of here. So I, uh, yeah, we've had so many great times and I can't wait to see what's next for you in basketball and beyond. And maybe it's, maybe you might have a microphone in front of you. I wouldn't be surprised or something like that. So that, uh, that wraps it up for the week. Um, thank you to Brennan and Spocast, and thank you to those listening. If you have any feedback, comments, thoughts, don't be shy, hit us up. Um, and, and be sure to check out a special post we have coming. We're going to do a little cut up of, uh, Mike stonk outtakes and that should be, that should be fun. So, uh, before we bounce any final thoughts, Mike, none at all, man. Thank you for having me on here. And, uh, Shout out to the real rat, dude. Shout out to all the real rats, uh, especially here in Spokane. Yeah, here and beyond. See you next week.